0: Please join me in prayer. Almighty Father, as we come together as a body to honor you this Sabbath day, we seek your guidance, we seek your answers, we seek your insights into your word. We're here to learn more about you through your word. and We're here to apply what we learn as we see the day approaching. So we ask for your blessings upon the meeting. We pray that... You'll be with all those who are seeking truth, those who are near and far, some way far, that you would be also the answer to all that they need at this time. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, that you'll be with us now and and bless this day in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. Maybe may be seated. The countdown to the Feast of Tabernacles is also, of course, as we know, the trumpets and atonement is on. And I pray you're making the preparations necessary. Hosting hundreds of feast goers for eight days is not an easy task. It Takes weeks of planning, preparation. And if it weren't for the dedication of the brethren, the volunteers who give up their time and sacrifice of of their days, we would be in the proverbial duck soup, especially right now. Almost there, less than a month away. You know, a characteristic of Yash the Messiah was, it speaks as loudly as his message was, his selflessness. He literally gave of himself for the world in countless ways. Every day he's out giving, giving, giving. All the ways of, all the way up to his sacrificial death. He said in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That was Yahshua's ethic. That's how he lived when he came to this earth. A servant doesn't expect to be taken care of. A servant expects to take care of others. And so it stands to reason that a major theme of Yahshua's teachings was countering self-centeredness in the body of Messiah. Whoever made this sign, I'm sure, had an element of sarcasm to it. But I got to thinking, you know, that's Yahshua. That's Yahshua that's stopping what he's doing to help someone who really needed help. In Mark 9.35, we find, and he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desires to be first the same shall be last of all and servant of all. It's almost like an innate thing. It's almost like in our DNA that we look to ourselves constantly, looking to our own advantage, looking for what's in it for me. Now, this statement of Yahshua, did it just come out of the blue or was it prompted by some argumentation among those that were with him, some bickering among the disciples about Which of them is going to be numero uno in the kingdom? Well, I'd say it's probably the latter. I'm sure it was the latter. Regardless, he needed to address servanthood in the body. And this was a prime opportunity. It happened again in Matthew 20, 21, when the mother of Zebedee's children came to Asher and said, "Uh, tell me, who's going to be on your left hand and who's going to be on your right hand? Why was she concerned about that? I mean, that's a mother's concern, obviously, but... Didn't she know Yahshua? He told her, you shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and sit on my left hand, that's not mine to give. That's the Father's. It's prepared of my Father. Isn't that interesting? Yahshua calls his people, or actually Yahweh calls a, a pool of people, Yahshua selects those for his kingdom. Those have a Shown worthy to be in his kingdom. Then what? Then Yahweh chooses their jobs. What they're going to do in the kingdom. That's what he said right here. It is prepared of my father to make that decision. Where you're going to be in the kingdom. You see, Yahshua the judge, he's going to decide eternal life. But our position in the kingdom is up to Yahweh himself. For the true believer... Personal sacrifice knows nothing about selfish gain. That's not what we're in for. That's not what we should be in for anyway. It's not about praise seeking. You know, Paul understood it in Colossians 3.22. Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. Not to look good, not to elevate self, not to place yourself above others, But in singleness of heart, fearing Elohim. Now this reminds me of the glory-seeking Pharisee. You know, he's standing there and and giving his uh, much-advertised temple donation. Everybody look and toot my horn and look here, I'm giving. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to Yahweh and not unto men. Knowing that of Yahweh you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. The reward. See, he gives a reward according to our works, he says the reward of our inheritance is of Yahweh. For you serve the master Yahshua. The reward is our kingdom position. Even the physical benefits are noteworthy. A recent review of 40 international studies found that doing for others, sacrificing for others, sacrificing self for others adds years to your life. With some Evidence pointing to a 22% reduction in mortality among those who are constantly serving others. How about that? And you don't have to be older to benefit either. One study found that high school students saw a drop in their cholesterol levels after volunteering with younger children once a week for two months. It does something inside. When you do for others, you gain benefits. When you sacrifice your time and energy for others, The reward center of your brain pumps out the mood-elevating neurotransmitter dopamine, creating what researchers call a helper's high. In fact, one study found that people who completed five random acts of kindness a week, like helping a friend, visiting a relative, taking time to talk with a child, or just writing a thank you note. They experienced a significant boost in overall feeling of well-being. And we've all had that. You do something good, it makes you feel good. Even though if the guy receiving it, it didn't make, mean as much for him. But it makes all the difference in your well-being. The more nice things you do, the more people will respond positively to you, and the better you feel. But there's more. There's more to it than this. A 2013 study in the journal, Psychology and Aging, revealed that adults over the age of 50 who volunteered at least 200 hours in the past year, roughly four hours a week, were 40% less likely than non-volunteers to have developed hypertension four years later. It's good for your heart. Giving of yourself is heart healthy. On the other hand, detachment and isolation can breed a number of negative results, which we're seeing now in this country when everybody's hunkered down because of the virus. That works in the body of Messiah too. No wonder Yahweh said, don't forsake gathering together. It's important, it's necessary. Gathering is key to a healthy body and a healthy spirit among believers. If the unenlightened world would just open their minds as well as their Bibles, they discover what the word and its covenants teach about Yahweh and how we best serve him by following the ways of Yahshua, the ways that Yahshua got from his father. The hands-on, real-life model he set, who was all about obeying his father. You know, our first responsibility is to get the foundation right. Salvation requires the right foundation. Fundamental. And the purpose far transcends carnal goals, of course. Today's most glossed over, I believe, neglected and ignored message is the kingdom and our part in it. How often do you hear, switch on the radio, got a minister talking, saying a lot of stuff. Doesn't really matter. How often do you hear them Talk about the kingdom and our part in the kingdom. That's the whole goal of life. That's the whole thing we're headed for. But they never talk about it. Yahshua came to preach and teach the coming kingdom of Yahweh. But where do you hear that? It's flabbergasting. The word kingdom appears 162 times in the New Testament. 33 times the kingdom of Yahweh. I should say the gospel of the kingdom, 33 times. All you hear is, well, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. But you don't hear anything about the rest of it, the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And yet this teaching of Yahshua goes unnoticed. The coming kingdom truth gives purpose in life, gives us a goal, gives us something to look forward to, transcends this carnal, sometimes disparaging world we live in. It gives hope and peace. For the atheist, this world is his life, is his faith, as a matter of fact. Humanism and politics become his faith. That's why you see so many people out there willing to kill for politics. It's their faith. They have nothing else. How dismal. To put your entire faith in this despicable world, it's just unbelievable. But the majority are doing that. The majority have that. Contact cement is a powerful substance. You ever used it? You smear some on one, sub, one surface and then on the one you're going to attach, you smear more, wait a few minutes till it dries and stick them together. Then try to pull it apart. Just try to pull it apart. It's almost impossible. That's how it works when we bond with one another in faith. It's hard to pull us apart. We spend time worshiping and fellowshipping on Sabbath and at Yahweh's other commanded days. And by doing so, we create adhesion among us together. It's hard to break. In entering his kingdom, the saints will be devoted to serving Yahweh forever. If you can't give of yourself in service now, how are you ever going to serve Yahweh in the kingdom? If you don't have that mind, will you even be in the kingdom? Something that Yahshua will have to deal with. It'll be enlightening to see what the world would be like without the adversary's evil power. You know, in the thousand-year millennial reign, Satan's going to be chained. He's not going to be able to do his dirty work on this world. I wonder what it's going to be like without him out there doing his millions of dirty works that he does every day for us. All the millions of ways it'll be brought to an Abrupt halt, and then we should have paradise, right? No, no, we still got human nature. Human nature, which is really his influence carried forward because they were just, Adam and Eve were just, they had no clue. They were just doing whatever Yahweh told them until he came along and twisted it all up. They were gullible. But since then, the evilness of man's mind has transcended the goodness in many ways. And it's carried forward. And it will still be here in the millennium until it's worked out of it. Until Yahshua works it out of people. The purpose of knowing the truth now is the very same as Yahweh's kingdom. It means serve Yahweh in both both worlds. It means preparing for service now by doing service. It involves following Yahweh's standards of behavior, his statutes and judgments. And most who profess a faith will have none of that. They live by the refrain, well, he did it all, I just trust in him. That's code for I'll live the way I want to. I'll make my own faith up the way I want to. Let the apostle explain it. He said that he abided in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 1 John two six, And how did he walk? By obeying his father in all things. He said, I came to do my father's will. What fa- my father has given me, that I do. He didn't come to destroy the law. He didn't come to make everything different. He just came to do what Yahweh told him to do. And we know that Yahweh doesn't change I once talked with a man who was halfway convinced of coming to the feast but his church said doing so impales Yahshua all over again listen Yahshua didn't die to eliminate feast keeping he died for the sin of not keeping the law not keeping the feast which is a sin The change in sacrifices does nothing to affect the Sabbath and the feast days, but you'll hear that. Sacrifices were done away. That means the feast days are done away. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. That's just something that's done or was done on the feast days and on the Sabbath, but that's changed. That doesn't mean the day is thrown out. Just because you get married doesn't mean you abolish the the, uh, tradition of marriage. It's still there. Serving was always less central to Yahshua's adversaries, but it was central to his ministry. He was totally selfless. He spent every moment of his ministry sacrificing for others. He had an entire universe and its magnificence that he actually, in effect, actually created. But the last thing on his mind was himself. Opposite is Satan, who was the creator of self-centeredness and who tried to tempt Yahshua to focus on self-promotion, but to no avail. Just skip the suffering part, Satan challenged. Just skip all that. Go right to the top by just falling down and worshiping me, and all this can be yours. Almost like today's mantra, do nothing, just believe. Hasatan's ego totally consumed him. He chose self over service, and that's exactly why he rebelled and took a third of the angels with him. Yasha didn't come to earth for himself. He came for others. And our walk is to be just like that, to be here for others, self-last. He is our example. For even hereunto unto were you called because Messiah also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow as steps, 1 Peter 2.21. We don't obey for personal reward, at least we shouldn't. We obey first because Yahweh demands it second to learn firsthand what his will is. And we measure up to it, which describes and defines Yahweh and transforms us so that one day we could administer and teach those same standards in a glorified kingdom. thousand-year millennium and has made us unto our Elohim kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 5.10. Maybe that's why they don't like to talk about the gospel of the kingdom, because they don't think they're going to be reigning on earth. They think they're going to be up there somewhere. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Most don't know what he taught about the kingdom coming to earth. Or if they do, they dismiss it out of hand. They've latched onto a heavenly cartoon about getting wings and playing harps for eternity. Well, just as the family trains its children in its own standards of behavior for adult life, this world is training ground for another life. Yasha explained how we are to live the truth. It is counterintuitive to the world's ways. They clash. They clash. The world's ways of easy believism. Matthew 20, 25. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Recall the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the Jews considered the Samaritans who were replacement people. They were brought in by uh, a, a... Power, Another power that defeated Israel. They were brought in there so they could uh, control, control the area. Well, they, uh, they were kind of half-breeds half in, the, in the Israelites' eye. And in Luke 10.25, Yahshua was challenged by a certain lawyer who asked him how to inherit eternal life. Yahshua asked the lawyer, what does the law say? The lawyer answered, you shall love Yahweh with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor then? The lawyer asked. In response, Yahshua told the parable of the good Samaritan, we're all familiar with it, who stopped to help a man beaten and bloody after the religious leaders deliberately avoided him by walking on the other side of the road So essentially, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? But the Good Samaritan asked, if I do not stop to help this man, what's going to happen to him? It was put this way once, service is the rent believers pay for being alive. It's the very purpose of life, not something you do at your own convenience. Yahshua said, what you do to one another, you do unto me. Yahshua tells us that if we want to be great, we must learn to be a great servant. Mark 10.44. Why? Why? Because a servant has the welfare of others at heart. And Yahshua said, what you do to them, my brethren, you're doing to me. A servant's heart is focused anywhere but on himself. And self-adulation, as we all know, in case of Hasatan, is the antithesis of Yahshua. He was humbled all the way up to his death. He never tried to become great. In fact, when they say, are you the king of the Jews? All he would say was, you said it. I can see today's politicians standing up there. <laughs> Am I ever, you know? You watch small business startups, and you notice the successful ones have owners who roll up their sleeve and get their hands dirtier than their employees. The proprietor works harder than his staff and longer hours. It's it's said a workhorse is a man who spends too much time minding his own business. On the other hand, the establishments that go belly up have owners who kick back, put their feet on the desk, and bark out orders. They don't sacrifice, not even for their own business. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, once appeared on the cover of their annual report. He was dressed in knee-length work a work apron, holding a mop and a plastic bucket. Here's how we describe that photo. I got my MBA long before my GED. At Wendy's, MBA does not mean Masters of, of uh, Business Administration. It means mop-bucket attitude. Every business, no matter what it is, answers to customers. Every business. Think about it. Everyone works for somebody in a business. No matter what the business is. doesn't matter if you're a brain surgeon, builder of rockets, or flapjack flipper. You answer to somebody else. You answer to the customer. You are serving others. No matter who we are in the body, we're serving others. And that applies to all dimensions of that, too. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created Messiah Yahshua, unto good works, which Yahweh has before ordained, that we should walk in them. We're created for service. That's what Yahshua tried to drill into these people. Serve the brethren. We should do so with the best effort we can, because we represent Yahshua. We are his people and serve him above all. In Matthew 25, 34, Yahshua explains the importance of serving in the body of Messiah. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For a while I, was a hunger. I was hungered and I gave, you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me, I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Master, when saw we you and hungered and fed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? We don't remember that. When saw you sick or in prison and came unto you, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you have done it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. Serving is the best use of your time here on earth. Whether you push a car out of a ditch, visit the ailing in the hospital, or dispose of an empty cup on the floor of a meeting hall, you're serving others. No matter what it is, small or large. We all have the same hours in the day. What sets great servants apart is the way they use their time. What about us? I don't really pity those who are up to their eyeballs in service because I know that they have found richness in their lives that many people will never experience, that the lazy will never know. If you're not serving, you're not living. You're just existing. Self-service works against it. Working for others is meaningful. The reformer, John Wesley, had as his motto, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. That's pretty good, I thought, pretty good. Service defines Yasha and his father. I found this eye-opening explanation of love in the New Testament. It's from the latest issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. It's toward the back of the magazine, the fall issue. It was entitled, What Yahweh is Love Actually Means. It's like, G-O-D is love. G-O-D, you know, you hear it all the time. He loves, he loves, he loves. So what does it mean? will explain that there are four kinds of love in Greek. Four words stand for different kinds of love. There's eros, that's romantic love. There's philia, which is brotherly love, Philadelphia, friendship type of love. There's storgi, that's natural empathy for one's family, country, or team. That's a type of love. But then there's Agape, unconditional, self-sacrificial love. That is what Yahweh's love is. When it says Yahweh is love, that means he sacrifices. Unconditionally, unconditional, self-sacrificial love for humankind. I thought that distinction was great. It means something more than he's love. What does that mean? We English speakers typically equate love with human emotion because unlike in Greek, love isn't nuanced in our language. We have one word that does double duty. One size fits all. Greek has a way of defining the different kinds of love. So in 1 John 4 and John 3.16 where we read Yahweh as love and Yahweh so loved the world the meaning is sacrificial love from the word agape. 1 John 3:14 shows the dire seriousness of having no agape for your brother, no sacrificing love. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we live we love agape the brethren. He that loveth agape not his brother abideth in death. He that doesn't serve his brother agape If we don't put others ahead of ourselves by giving of ourselves to others, we're not worthy of high positions in the kingdom. Peter wrote, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For Elohim resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. A great servant. He's compassionate. Sympathy is when you say, I'm sorry you hurt. Empathy is when you say, I hurt with you. But compassion is when you say, I'll do anything to stop your hurt. Yahshua is our example of compassion. We read in Matthew 14:14, And when Yahshua went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He saw how much they needed him. And he stopped what he was doing and healed them. Yet sometimes the simplest sacrifice, done at the right time for the right reason, can have far-reaching impact. We don't always realize it. Someone comes back years later and says, I really appreciate what you did back in 220. I really appreciate that. You've long forgotten about it. But it meant something to them. Sometimes the simplest sacrifice, done at the right time for the right reasons, can really change a life. A very ill and failing elderly man in a hospital kept calling out for his son. He asked the nurse several times during the day, has my son arrived yet? Where is he? As the day wore on, there was no sign of the son. When the nurse saw a tired, anxious-looking young man standing in the hall outside an ailing man's room. She grabbed him and rushed him to the bedside. Your son is here, she said, whispered to the sedated patient. He dimly saw the young man standing there. He reached out his hand to him. The young man tightly wrapped his fingers around the dying man's hand, squeezing a message of encouragement. The nurse brought a chair and set it at the bedside all through the night. The young man sat there holding the elderly man's dying hand, whispering words of comfort. The dying man said nothing as he held tightly to his son. As dawn approached, the old man took his last breath. The young man placed the lifeless hand that he had been holding all night on the bed. Then he went to notify the nurse who came and offered words of sympathy to the young man. The well, interrupted her, Who was that man? The startled nurse replied, oh, I thought he was your father. I never saw him before. I came in here yesterday visiting, visiting a friend down the hall. Then why didn't you say something when I took you to him? Asked the nurse, he replied, when you rushed me in there, I realized that the gentleman needed his son more than anything. He needed to believe his son had come to him, and I realized how much he needed me. A great servant is faithful. A servant obeys Yahweh, not out of convenience, but conviction. He requires the same of us. You know, there's nothing like the Feast of Tabernacles. We all look forward to it. It's the big, big event of the year for us, even though it's one of Yahweh's appointed times. But it's a time we come together for eight days. There's nothing else quite like it. We have to live together. And we learn about serving others during the feast. Come with that in mind, and you'll get the most out of this holy time. Come with that servant's heart and you won't believe how you'll be blessed rather than sit passively by and watch from the sidelines get up and get involved don't wait to be asked ask how you can assist in some way a servant sees the need beforehand he doesn't have to be asked he sees things that need to be done he needs he sees the the uh, tables that are dirty and need to be wiped off He sees the trash. It needs to be taken out. He sees all of these things. He He sees someone in a wheelchair and needs attention. The more you serve, the more you yourself will benefit. The more you serve, the more like Yahshua you'll become. So I pray that we all can better ourselves at serving. I know I can do more and should do more, but make this the feast beginnings for everyone. And they'll all notice too. May Yahweh bless you.